Good morning. How's everybody this morning? If you have a Bible, would you turn to Proverbs 22? We're gonna start there in verse nine, and then we're gonna jump to Romans 12, one and two. So Proverbs 22, verse nine, and we're gonna eventually end up in Romans 12, one and two. If you're in need of a Bible, we have some ushers coming down the aisles. Uh, just slip a hand up, they'll get you a Bible so you can use it this morning. We encourage everyone to be in God's word, whether that's a hard copy or electronic copy, um, just to follow along. So Romans 22 here in just a second. Thanks for being here this morning, worshiping with us. and. Those who are joining us online and those who will be in Kindred tonight at six o'clock worshiping. I trust that you are having a great summer and amid all the family gatherings and vacations and ball games and lake time and so many other things you find yourself doing and enjoying, you're experiencing, and here's what I really uh, am encouraging, you're experiencing God even in the unexpected moments of life. He longs to meet us and for us to experience him. From the time that our feet hit the floor in the morning until our head hits the pillow at night. You may remember that we're in this series called Catch 22 and it's based on Proverbs chapter 22. And before I jump in this morning, I wanna read um, Proverbs 22, one through nine. This is what it says if you're following along. It says, a good name, if you remember we talked about reputation, is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Then we talked about humility. Verse four, it says, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. And then verse five, we talked about the paths of the wicked. In the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls, but those who would preserve their life stay far from them. And then we talked about parenting, start children off in the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. The rich, rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Last week, Pastor Jonas. Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. And then we come to verse nine. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. This morning, we're talking about living a life of generosity. So if you wanna springboard over to Romans chapter 12, verses one and two is where we're gonna land here for a good part of our time this morning. There used to be a show on TV, and I don't know if you remember this show, it was called The Briefcase. Do you remember that? It's been a number of years ago. I brought a couple briefcases or backpacks with me to kind of represent a little bit of what I want to talk about here for just a moment. And, and on each episode of this show, uh, this reality series, there were two families that were invited to participate in what they call a documentary about money. And what they don't know up front is that they're going to have to be faced with really life-altering decisions at many levels. Both families in the show are hardworking American families who have been experiencing some kind of financial hardship. They're presented with a briefcase and they're told to open this briefcase and this is how it all begins. And they open the briefcase and, and in front of them are $100 bills wrapped together, totaling $100,000 in the briefcase. And then they're told that the money is theirs to do with whatever they wanna do with it. And after, of course, this e initial emotion subsides, the producer then begins to reveal uh, more ideas of what the show's about. 
They're told that while the money is theirs, that there's a difficult decision that they have to make. Do they keep all of the money for themselves or do they give all the money away to a family who is equal or worse in a worse financial need than they are? They have 72 hours to make the decision. Each family is given a cell phone and the producer then stays in touch with them that way over this 72 hours. And at first the couple makes an informal decision not knowing anything about this other family. And so they just start and they start talking, well, of course we're gonna keep all the money or, or we're gonna, of course we're gonna give it all away. One might say, let's keep it all we need. And the other might say, let's give it all away, even amongst themselves. Then the first text comes instructing one of the family members, either the wife or the husband, has to go away on their own and they have to ponder and they have to process, what are we gonna do with all of this money? And they have to make their own decision. And then the next one goes away on their own and then they come back together and they kind of have to work it out. And sometimes during these first two decisions between a couple, the amount to keep and the amount to give away swings pretty significantly, as you might imagine. Then the final piece of the decision comes when they are informed that they will travel to the other family's home and they will get to see how the living conditions. They'll get to see the inside of the house, outside of the house. They'll get to look through the cupboards. They'll get to look through the bedrooms. they get to look through all their bills. And once they've made the trip to the other person's home, the other family's home, they're instructed that they now meet the other family in person and present them with their decision. Little do they know, but not only has one couple been making the decision, but the other family's been making the decision about them. So when they come face to face, it's in that moment they're informed they both have a briefcase and both have been deciding about each other. There's an element of surprise, of course, there's an element of shock on their faces, to say the least, because they now are in a position whereby they must reveal what they had decided prior to the face-to-face -face meeting. No change in their mind now. And the first couple lays out on the table what they decided to give, and then the difference they decided to keep. And then the next couple does the same towards them. And as you might imagine, it's a very tense time as they reveal their decision, not realizing that they are also on the receiving end of someone else's generosity. What I want you to imagine this morning for a moment between these two, this backpack and uh, this carry bag, this briefcase, this is what I want you to imagine. This one is from God to you and has in it all of the resources, all of the talents, everything that you need for this life that he has given you is in this briefcase. And in this backpack is all that you have decided to give back to God. All of your time, all of your talents, and all the resources. Today I want to talk about generosity and what it means to give yourself away. Verse nine said the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. And to better understand generosity, again, I want us to look at Romans 12, one and two. If you're following along on the outline, the first is generosity is your response to God's mercy. It's the first part of verse one. 
It says this, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, and let's just read the whole thing though, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is how it starts again though. Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy. Paul begins by urging us as believers, and in a moment we'll talk about what this, what this urging is, but first let's talk about the reason for this urging. And he says, I urge you in view of God's mercy. What is the reason? He's urging us. Help me out. In view of God's mercy. So what he is saying is this, what I'm about to urge you to do is only possible because of what God has done for you. Consider the mercy of God. Get into view the mercy of God. Stop and ponder the mercy of God. Don't forget about the mercy of God. That's what he's saying. Grace and mercy are brothers, but they have way different personalities. They come from the same source, they're quite different. For us to understand this passage, we have to distinguish between the two, between grace and mercy. Maybe you remember that grace is God's unmerited favor towards us. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. It's God saying, uh, here's my son Jesus, you don't deserve him, uh, but here you go. Here's forgiveness of sin, you don't deserve it, but here you go. That's what makes grace so amazing. Paul could have said here, I urge you in view of God's grace. In view of God's unmerited favor, I urge you but that's not the word he used. He said, I urge you in view of God's mercy. So, so what exactly is he saying here? While grace is giving us what we do not deserve, mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. Grace is giving, mercy is withholding. What do we deserve? Why, why, why do we even understand, have to understand mercy? What do we deserve? According to the Bible, we deserve spiritual death. And according to the Bible, eternal punishment for our sins. We deserve God's wrath because of our sin. We deserve God's punishment. So the Bible teaches us that's what we deserve. And God says, I'm not going to give that to you. That's mercy. I'm going to withhold that from you. So grace is God sending his son to die and to shed his blood as the only acceptable sacrifice in our place. You don't deserve that. He says, well, I'm gonna give that to you anyway. Grace is the blood of Christ covering our sin, making it possible that we get to know God. We deserve none of that. That's unmerited favor. Mercy, on the other hand, is God withholding his wrath from us even though we deserve it. So grace is giving and mercy is withholding. You got it? So Paul says, I urge you, I urge you in view of the fact that God is withholding his wrath from you. I urge you in view of the fact that God is not annihilating you. I urge you in view of the fact that God has chosen to not destroy you. God withholding his wrath from you is extreme generosity. Would you agree? I was just heard a song this morning and it reminded me, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And the reason it's so important for us to understand God's generous mercy is because any 
any ounce of generosity that we can give, not only back to God, but to any person sitting next to you, any person in our life, any ounce of generosity we can give is only because we have received. Any generosity that does not come from the overflow of God's generous mercy has selfishness written all over it. Everything we do in this life is driven by motive. It either has us in mind or it has God in mind. It's either look at me or look at Jesus. Remember me or remember Jesus. So we're called to live a life of generosity because God's generous mercy towards us. We give our lives away because he gave his life for us. When I really give thought to what God has done for me and what God has kept from me, it makes me wanna live a life of generosity. When I don't give thought to what God has done for me, it makes me wanna live a life of selfishness. Generosity is in view of God's mercy. Secondly, generosity is choosing to give yourself away. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, here's the second part, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So now that we know why we ought to live a life of generosity, what does it even mean? To define sacrifice is to offer something to God for worship. We're called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Well, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. It sure doesn't sound successful, and it certainly doesn't have any hint of personal gain in fact, just to be honest, living life as a sacrifice to God sounds completely unattractive and goes against everything in my flesh. This morning, let's consider worshiping God through a life of sacrifice by making a decision about our briefcase and how much of what he has given us will you give back to him? And how much will you keep for yourself? When you think about time alone, Psalm 39.5 in the NLT says this, you have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath, is what the scripture says. So in our bag, there's time, and he's given us all the time. The shortness of this life is no secret. Ask a person in their 70s how quickly life goes by. Ask a person in their 80s how quickly life goes by. In fact, writing this message, I was pondering my own life, realizing that I have four grown children, and I have two grandkids, and this summer, I'm pretty sure 
in about six weeks, I'm going to be celebrating my 36th wedding anniversary. Lori's not here, but she's watching online, so let me get this, let me get this right here a second. 19, 19. Well, that didn't come out right, it says 1,784. I did the math wrong there, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. So um, we're gonna go with that, 36th wedding anniversary. That's crazy when I stop. Where did the time go? And we all do that with our life, right? Like people tell us, hey, your kids are little, but it's gonna go fast. And you're like, oh yeah, right. Man, where does the time go? And David reminds us our lives are extremely short when you consider life next to eternity when you hold it up. It's like the snap of a finger. It's like a breath. David writes this not to depress us, rather to remind us to to have this proper perspective on life and the time that God has given us. Knowing this truth challenges us not to spend too much time securing that which won't last and neglecting that which will last forever. And when God considers our life, he sees it for what it is. It's short, it's brief, it's temporary. God looks at our lives through the glasses of eternity and knows that we were designed to last forever, not just a few brief moments here on this earth. So God gets it, he gets it. But do I get it? Do you get it? We filled so much of our time with work and social media and video games and TV and kids activities and entertainment and exercise that we literally have very little time left to live a life of generosity. Now we know why it's called a life of sacrifice. We would have to sacrifice to live a generous life. God has given us all the time that we need to accomplish the plan that he has for us. Adding another hour to the day or or a few more minutes to each hour would not gain us anything because oftentimes we think that, man, if I just had a little bit more time, what would we do? We'd We'd be even more busy, more stress, more chaos, more responsibilities, right? Not only has God given us the time to get everything done that he asked, he has also given us a surplus of time to be generous with. We just have to find it. Friends, if I look tired, I just returned from a week-long trip with our students in Kansas City, which was absolutely amazing. But I'm gonna tell you something. Uh, We had many adults go on that trip that found the time that, that lived a life of sacrifice because they gave up their time, they gave up their vacation to go and spend with 35 of our students from this church, 3,000 plus students from around this country. It was a lot of work. Seven o'clock in the morning, I'm not gonna say who it was in our group, is knocking on every door, making sure everybody's awake. Until 11.30 at night, you get to go in your room, you finally get to lay down and go to sleep. Are you used to that schedule? And then every waking moment, you're, you're, you're busy, you're running, you're with these students, but what an amazing time. I gotta tell you how the trip started though. We showed up to the hotel, we're checking in, and this, this poor guy 
this entire hotel staff is ready because there's an onslaught, 3,000 students and, and a couple of hotels showing up to Kansas City. Of course, they're used to this, but this guy's checking us in. And so we're checking in and we hand him the first credit card and uh, he, he checks in, a we have 15 rooms. He checks in a couple of rooms. He's like, this credit card's maxed out. What? Okay, let's find another credit card. We give him another credit card. Okay, here's one more room. Now this is maxed out. Here's another credit card. Now that's maxed out. We were playing credit card roulette, just trying to get our students the rooms that we needed to stay, right? It was crazy. But in the end of that chaos, um, I leaned over to the guy and I said, hey, just so you know, my wife and I are staying in a room. If we could get the honeymoon suite, that, that would be great. <clears throat> and uh, he said, you want the honeymoon suite? I didn't even have a honeymoon suite, but yeah, whatever you got. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the biggest room on that floor. And we walk into our room, we're like, okay, this is not right. This is not fair, it was crazy. But when I was checking in, he said, was your wife just in here? I said, yeah, she was just in here. He said, okay, I'll give you that room. Why does it have to be my wife all the time? Like the sweet little thing comes in and you, yeah, what about me? What, what about me? Okay, can I just stay in the room? But we asked, and, 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 and it, it's, it's amazing. This guy was, was graciously generous. We felt really bad about having this room because nobody else had this room. So we invited people into our room on occasion. In our briefcase of life, not only has God displayed his incredible generosity by giving us the time that we need to live a generous life, he has also displayed his generosity by giving us all the money that we need to live a generous life. Second Corinthians eight verse nine says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Jesus gave up everything to become poor and through his poverty we gained everything in him. While we may never be rich in the world's eyes, we are rich in blessings and freedom and eternity. Because of God's mercy, the wrath of God is no longer hanging over your head if you're a believer. Because of God's mercy, blessings are not withheld from you if you're a believer and a child of his. Because of God's mercy, eternity is not hell for you. Because of God's tremendous generosity towards us, we have every reason to be generous with the treasures that God has given us. Psalm 24 one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The biggest roadblock to living a generous life is resolving this. Whose is it and where did it come from? If we live like it's ours and we earned it, we become the recipient of our own generosity. Thank you, me. Good job, me. Well done, me. If we live knowing that it is all God's and he gave 
it to us to watch over, we will be much more apt to live generously. Every penny you and I have is from God. And he has simply asked us to manage it and to use it for his glory. Keep an eye on it. Be good stewards with it. And when we live knowing that all we have is God's, it does affect a lot of things in this life. And maybe you've discovered this, but when you come to the realization that everything you have is God's, and he has asked you to just watch over it, keep an eye on it, manage it, be a good steward, it's like the grip that we have on the things in this life begins to loosen. And then it puts us in a place where we're able to help other people. It puts us in a place where we're able to say, yeah, you can drive my car. It puts us in a place where we can say, yeah, you can stay in my house. It puts us in a place where we, yeah, come over for supper. Or can I take you out for him? It puts us in that place because we begin to realize it's not ours. Our briefcase is full of all that God has given us. And now we have to decide how much we will use for his glory and how much of it we will use for our own glory. Have you decided that? How much of what he has given us will we use on our own pleasures? And how much will we use for his pleasure? God is the author of all things. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the owner of all things. Everything made by God is owned by God. And he is the maker of all things. The word stewardship in the Bible has two parts. House law. And it refers to a hired person to manage the house. And this hired person uh, wasn't their house, they didn't own it, but they were hired as a steward to manage the house, to make sure the outside is okay, the inside's okay, there's food in the cupboards. Stewardship for mankind, it began way back in the Garden of Eden. And the scripture says that Adam and Eve were given full dominion, not ownership, but the responsibility. Our generosity is in response to God's generosity in our lives. It comes purely from the work of God's transforming work in us. And when we allow God's generous grace, his generous love, his generous forgiveness, his mercy to truly, truly affect us at the core, we can't help but be generous. It's what sanctification is. I don't know, I got a kick out of this. There's a youth pastor. I, by the way, I was trying to recruit a youth pastor when I was at the national conference. Um, I got a couple of their senior pastors upset with me. But um, a youth pastor in Iowa posted this on social media. I thought it was kind of funny. Nothing makes you grow in sanctification quite like moving car seats around. Do you experience that? Here was my response. As grandparents then, sanctification is certainly progressive, really progressive. 
I don't know if you've tried to move car seats around as a grandparent in a car, but that's sanctification. You're growing, right, in that? Thirdly, generosity is how you worship God. It says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is where it ends. This is your true and proper worship. Generosity is how we worship God. Our generosity is authentic when it's anchored in pure motive of worshiping God and bringing him glory. So our life, our existence, every breath we take, every decision we make, every step we take is about worshiping God. And worship is at the core and is a matter of us standing awestruck before a holy God. It's just reflecting on the words of that hymn that we were just singing. Having nothing to offer but everything to gain. It's all energy, all focus, all attention upon the one and only most high God. Our generosity is how we worship God. When you see your true need for God and when you have a proper understanding of who God is and when you realize that you were created to worship God, that's why you're here, that's why you exist. How can you help but have a life of generosity? How can you help but give yourself away? How can you and I help but say, I'm giving it all back to you, God. You gave it all to me, I'm giving it all back to you. For your glory. Use my time, use my treasures for your glory. God's generous mercy leads to our generous life. When we live generously, our lives speak Jesus. We didn't realize it, and you may not even know this name, but we were at this national youth conference, and it was probably the second, maybe the third rally um, in the worship time. It was amazing because whenever the worship time would start on the stage, there were probably at least 500 to a thousand students who would run from their seats and they would run forward for this amazing worship time. Charity Gale was the worship leader. Now you may not know that name, and <clears throat> but Charity Gale, um, we didn't recognize her, and we didn't, which is a cool thing, right? Because it's not about her. But but one of the songs that she sings is "I Speak Jesus." And here's a couple of the lyrics, because I think that this sums up a life of generosity. When we live a generous life, we speak Jesus. I just wanna speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind, because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Why do we live a life of generosity? I just wanna speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break, declaring there is hope and there is freedom because your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and anxiety to every soul held captive by depression. I speak Jesus. Your life of generosity 
speaks Jesus. Let me leave you with this one thing. It's very simple. It's this idea to give yourself away this week. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Seek the Lord. Ask him about the time, talent, and treasures that he's given you. And say, I want to give it back to you. How do you want to use it? Give yourself away this week by offering your time, your talent, and your treasures for his glory. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for this this morning. And just as I was um, saying those few words, I was I was thinking to myself, it really represents a broad group of people. And it reminded me that there are people here that maybe some of those descriptive words and phrases represent. God, may we be a church that is generous. May we be a body of believers that seeks to live and exist and model generosity towards one another. You have given it all to us through your grace. And you have not given us what we deserve. Thank you for your mercy. God, would you show us? Maybe there's people in our lives. Maybe there's a child a marriage partner, husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, a relative, a friend, someone who's sitting in a row, someone whom we might encounter when we're out sharing a bagel together here in just a few minutes. How can we be generous to them? How can we speak Jesus to them? Because somebody here needs freedom. Somebody here needs Jesus. God, would you do what only you can do? Your deep, penetrating work in our hearts. And set someone free today for your glory. And there are here... uh, I'm sure, Father, people that, who've become apathetic, just don't care anymore. Would you awaken in their heart a hunger and a thirst that they once had? I just wanna speak the name of Jesus. There's something about that name. 